What's up, everybody? This is the Booch, and this shout-out goes to all of the members of the Booch Cast Nation. On behalf of the entire team and all of my affiliates, I would like to take this opportunity to thank you guys so much from the bottom of our hearts for your continued support of the Boochcast. Whether it's wrestling recaps, interviews, politics, variety shows, movie reviews, whatever episodes we come out with, you guys listen, you guys tune in, and you show your support. And it means the world to us. And we're going to commence with this latest episode in just a moment. But I want to take this opportunity right now to let you guys know something really huge that is going on in the world of the booch. I am now officially on Cameo. That's right. The Cameo. The same Cameo where celebrities go and give personal shout-out videos for all their fans. And I'm here to let you guys know that for the affordable price of just $25 you can get a personalized video from me on cameo and it can be for any occasion that you want you got somebody you want me to wish a happy birthday I'll make it happen you want me to congratulate someone on graduating high school or college I'll make it happen whether it's a happy holidays video it can be a gender reveal it can be somebody who needs some motivation you want the boots to motivate you or if you got somebody in your life that you want to break up with I'll help make the breakup happen or if you got somebody in your life that you want to tell to fuck off and you want it done booch style all you got to do is go to cameo.com slash booch 365 there'll be a link in the description box of every episode of the booch cast from now till the end of time go there book your video customize it however you want let me know how you want it done and i will make it happen for you so go to cameo.com slash booch365 right now and book your personalized video today for the affordable price of $25. And now, on with the show. I know your anger, I know your 
What's up, everybody? This is Vinny Bucci, a.k.a. The Booch, and welcome to the recap of AEW All Out 2023. And as much as I would love to just simply recap this pay-per-view and send you all on your way, I'm afraid I can't. And I'm going to tell you why. Because, unfortunately, over the last couple days, an incident has occurred in the world of wrestling and in the world of AEW. And ever since this incident took place, my phone has been ringing off the hook. I've been getting DMs like a motherfucker. I have been getting multiple people calling me to either vent to me about how they feel one way or the other or to get my thoughts on what happened. So many people are asking me about this. So before I get into this pay-per-view and before I make an announcement that I'm also going to make before I get into this pay-per-view but after I talk about this, I'm going to take a moment to address it one time so I don't have to talk about it ever again. And that is, of course, the termination of CM Punk. Statement from All Elite Wrestling and Tony Khan. This is on their official Twitter page. That's how I found out it was legit. All Elite Wrestling, AEW, has terminated the wrestler and employment agreements between Philip Brooks, CM Punk, and AEW with cause effective immediately. The termination was confirmed today by Tony Khan, CEO, general manager, and head of creative of AEW. The termination follows a week-long internal investigation of an incident occurring backstage at AEW, all in London on Sunday, August 27th. Following the investigation, the AEW Discipline Committee met and later convened with outside legal counsel before making a unanimous recommendation to Khan that CM Punk be terminated with cause. Khan offered the following statement. Bill played an important role within AEW and I thank him for his contributions. The termination of his AEW contracts with cause is ultimately my decision and mine alone. Of course, I wish I hadn't ha I didn't have to share this news, which may come as a disappointment to many of our fans. Nonetheless, I am making the decision in the best interest of the many amazing people who make AEW possible every week. Our talent, staff, venue operators, and many others whose efforts are unsung but essential to bringing our fans great shows on television at arenas and stadiums throughout the world. Yes, so Tony is making this decision from the advice of the disciplinary committee and outside legal counsel. I would love to meet that disciplinary committee. In fact, I'm willing to bet they are a very elite disciplinary committee that I'm sure does a lot of charity work for jungle boys in the wild. But out of all of this, the thing that makes me laugh even harder is that Tony Khan actually said he felt like his life was in danger at a wrestling show. That makes Tony Khan the biggest beta male in all of wrestling. I guess I guarantee you as soon as he said that there are so many people in the wrestling business that are laughing at him right now because I got news for you ladies and gentlemen backstage fights have happened many times before the only difference is we didn't have social media to capture it you had to hear about it later hell WWE has had backstage fights WCW has had backstage fights guys had issues they fought it out and one of two things happened either after the fight was over they agreed to disagree and never spoke again or they shook hands they earned each other's respect and they buried the hatchet later on because that's what men do if you got tension with somebody and it's causing a lot of problems you usually go and you fight it out or you sit down and you talk it out sometimes you go to a bar you have a couple drinks you air out your grievances and you work shit out that's usually what you do what you don't do is get in somebody's face bow up to them and try to start a fight and then piss and moan when you end up in a fight that's like it's like the old saying, poking the bear. You go into the woods and you poke a bear with a stick. Eventually, that bear is going to turn around and rip your face off. At that point, you don't get to sit there and go, that bear attacked me. What the fuck did you think the bear was going to do? That's 
exactly what anybody would say to you. Or if there's a lion's den and you jump over a barricade at a zoo and you hop into the lion's den and the lion ends up eating you alive or mauling you really, really badly to the point where you need hospitalization. Again, people are going to ask you, what the fuck did you think was going to happen? If you fall in the ocean and a shark comes at you, they tell you, don't get in the water. It's shark infested, but you get in the water and there's a fucking shark and it comes to eat you. You can't be shocked. The fucking shark ate you because that's what sharks do. You don't fuck with people that are guaranteed to whoop your ass unless you are confident you can whoop that person's ass. That's just common sense. And I'm the same way. I'll stand up for myself in a verbal argument. And if shit gets physical, I will defend myself. But regardless of any of those things, I'm still smart enough to know who I can beat up and who I can't. I'll give you an example. When I had the verbal altercation with Alan Funk, Kwiwi, who, by the way, I buried the hatchet with, for those of you who don't know. We're all cool now. I'm just using him as an example. Even though I yelled and screamed and cussed him, at no point during that verbal altercation did I think to myself, I could kick his ass. Not one time. I know if I got in a fight with Alan Funk, he would beat the fucking shit out of me. So I didn't try to fight him. And I only yelled at him because he was cussing me. So I went on the defense. But just because I was yelling at him doesn't mean I thought I could beat him up in a fight. I just don't like having my good name dragged through the mud. I don't like being accused of shit that I didn't fucking do. And I was not the guy on the podcast of Rebuilding Buff that was talk when, when, when Buff said what he said about Alan Funk at the time. He thought I was the kitty toucher. I wasn't the kitty toucher. I wasn't on the show. And he found out later I wasn't the guy on the show. And he came and apologized to me. We shook hands and we ended it. We settled it like grown ass men. Now speaking of the kitty toucher, if he and I got in a fight, I would 100% fuck his shit up. And I'd do it with a smile on my face and a song in my heart. Not just because he's a kitty toucher, but because of what he did to Buff and for the underlying tactics he tried to pull on me. See, that's the difference. And also, the way Punk dealt with Jack Perry, I can 100% guarantee you any other locker room veteran would have done the same fucking thing. So in case you think Punk is wrong for what he did, ask yourself this question. What do you think The Undertaker would have done if Jack Perry did that to him? You think he would have took that shit? How about JBL? How about Triple H? How about Shawn Michaels? How about Bret Hart? Hulk Hogan? Randy Savage? Kevin Nash? Seth freaking Rollins? I'll throw him in there. Do you honestly think any of those guys, if Perry got in their face, they wouldn't fuck him up? And I guarantee you this, if it happened in WWE, Vince McMahon would never ever say, I was scared for my life and the production staff and it was uh, it was such a scary work environment. No. You know why? Because Vince is also an alpha fucking male. I know Vince McMahon's not popular amongst wrestling fans today, but Vince is an alpha male and you need an alpha male to lay down law and order. And AEW doesn't have it. Punk was the only alpha male in that locker room. The only other person is maybe MJF. Maybe. I know he's great in the ring and great on the mic, but backstage, I don't know if he has an alpha or a beta personality. I know he plays a great character in the ring, but I don't know what it's like outside the ring. But I know this much, there's nobody with an executive position in that company that is an alpha male. They're all betas. Whether it's Tony or the Elite, they're all betas. They're the weakest motherfuckers on the face of God's green earth. And speaking of the Elite, here's another little tidbit piece of information that we found out about. You know, before I talked about, you know, 
sometimes when people get in fights, they do one of two things. They either settle it physically or they go sit at a bar, maybe have a couple drinks and talk it out. Well, obviously there's no drinks involved because punk is straight edge. But apparently there was supposed to be a sit down meeting between the elite and CM Punk. That was supposed to take place in Atlanta when, when, when they had the go home shows in Atlanta. They were supposed to have a sit down meeting to bury the hatchet and move forward. But at the last minute, the elite canceled the meeting. This is why I don't side with the elite on this. People think it's because I hate the elite. I'll admit that's part of it. Obviously, it's no secret that I hate these fucking guys. But this is part of the reason why I hate them. Because they are immature fucking children. And I know this because I've, I've been watching these three all the way back to Ring of Honor. Back in 2014, for one whole year, I watched Ring of Honor. And this is back when Sinclair Broadcasting had it. This is before TK took it over. And they were on late at night, or you had to watch them online, or whatever the fuck. But I watched Ring of Honor. TV. I watched it for one full year and I saw those guys for the first time ever on in Ring of Honor. And from the first moment I saw them, I hated their guts. So this is not some bandwagon that I'm jumping on. I've hated the Elite since 2014 because of all the embarrassing, stupid shit they do in a ring. They don't take the business seriously. They don't love it. They don't respect it. Because if they did, they wouldn't do any of the stupid shit that they have done. No one who loves the wrestling business does the shit that they do. Nobody. They they don't even consider themselves wrestlers. They're artists. And Punk is trying to censor our art. Punk wants to come in here and have wrestling matches. We don't do wrestling. We do gymnastics and acrobatics and synchronized swimming. Because that's the biggest problem. Punk came into this company to elevate it. And the fact that there are fans who are happy that Punk is gone, you do not realize how hypocritical you truly are. Because you're the same motherfuckers that for seven years wanted this man to come back to wrestling. Punk sat at home, walked out. Yeah, you got the those papers that officially terminated him on his wedding day on accident or whatever the fuck. But the point is, he walked out. He quit. He left. And everybody was talking about, good on you, punk. Way to stick it to Vince McMahon. Yeah, punk is awesome. Bring him back. Bring him back. He doesn't want to come back. Bring him back. Bring him back. He doesn't want to come back. Bring him back. Bring him back. He doesn't want to come back. You would hijack fucking shows, especially in Chicago. You would hijack shows from WWE because you were so angry that punk was gone. Punk was sitting at home, enjoying himself. Tried the UFC, failed epically, but everyone, everywhere, wanted CM Punk to come back to wrestling. And finally, AEW is formed. And the first thing people are saying is, when is Punk going to show up? You all begged and pleaded for Punk to show up, and Tony Khan found a way to put enough coin in Punk's pocket to get him to come out of retirement and come to AEW. And there was a rumor. It wasn't even advertised. It was a fucking rumor that he would show up on the Rampage in Chicago, and he fucking did. He showed up on a live episode of Rampage, and it doesn't always go live, and he showed up. And he cut a pipe bomb in the middle of the ring. And everybody cheered. He was back. He had to match it all out against Darby Allen And gave Darby Allen the best match he's ever had in his entire career. Because he got Darby Allen to wrestle. And that's why the Elite and all those little children in the back hate him so much. Because Punk didn't want to do what all the other guys like Sting and Billy Gunn do. Which is fall in line with their bullshit. And be background acts for these indie jackoffs. So they can get a run 
dub that they don't deserve. That's the reason this shit happened. Because Punk came in to be a main event goddamn player and he wanted to elevate everyone to his level. Because that is what a champion, that is what a badass is supposed to fucking do. If you're a top guy, you don't dumb yourself down to the other person's level to make them feel good about themselves. No, you elevate people to your level so you can have another big star. Because that's what putting people over is. It's not just losing. It goes beyond just having your shoulders pinned to the mat. One, two, three. Don't believe me? Look at Austin Theory. He beat John Cena at WrestleMania. What the fuck has he done since then? Nothing. So clearly, even getting a victory over our man who is arguably the greatest WWE superstar of all time didn't do fuck for Austin Theory. Why? Because he couldn't elevate his game. He wasn't ready for that match. And history so far has shown that he wasn't. Now I don't hate Austin Theory. I hope he gets better. I really do. I hope he becomes a top guy. I hope he improves. I hope years from now he becomes a star. But right now he is mid as fuck because he couldn't elevate himself. But that's what you do. You bring people to your level. You perform at the top guy's level. But again, the elite one to believe they're the greatest in wrestling and they hate when other people come in and prove them wrong. They want to be the center of attention. They're not. They want to be the greatest wrestlers on the planet. They're not. They want to be locker room leaders. They're not. They want to be portrayed as badass tough guys. They're not. And when you factor in all the other shit that Punk has had to go through since coming in here, not only is he working with fucking children, but here's the other thing. Another thing at All In that we found out about. Turns out, when Punk landed in England and got to the airport, there was no one there to pick him up. And when he called the number for transportation, it came back as an invalid number. So he had no one to contact. He had no point of contact when he landed in the UK. So he was forced to take the subway because there was no Ubers because the whole place is fucking busy because everyone's going to Wembley. He had to get on the tube. That's what they call it in England. And I'll, I'll say subway because I know most of our fan base is from America. He gets on their subway train and literally has fans giving him directions on how the fuck to get to Wembley Stadium. This is your top main event guy, and he's struggling to get to the building. I've worked indie shows that were more organized than this. Never in my life have I've seen indie shows. I've worked indie shows, and I've been to indie shows, and I've seen some shows that were outlaw mud show, but at least they knew how to get their top guy to the fucking building or the mud, or wherever the mud show was. They at least knew how to get the fucking people to the building. So Punk is coming here to do proper business, and he is dealing with disrespect at every turn. From Meltzer and Alvarez printing out bullshit stories that the elite is leaking to them, to Adam Page going into business for himself, to the elite storming into his fucking locker room trying to start shit, all the way up to the incident at All In, or incidents. And then you find out Punk wanted to bury the hatchet with the elite many times, but they refused to speak to him. So Punk's trying to be the grown-up, but they still want to be children. And then you got Jack Perry, who's bitching and complaining because he wanted to use real glass in a fight and was told by not just Punk, but Tony Schiavone and multiple producers not to do it because it's not necessary. And he decides to do shoot in a fucking pay-per-view when he's on the zero-hour pre-show that tells you how much value Perry has in this fucking company. And then he picks a fight, gets his ass kicked, 
and the guy who didn't start shit but finished it got fired. That's what the fuck happened here. And it's for goddamn ridiculous. This is the most disorganized wrestling company on the planet. And if you don't see the conspiracy theory here, either you're not doing the proper research or you're still drinking the Kool-Aid from the elite. This is why I invoked the elite rule was because I was sick of their shit when I realized they were worse than I ever thought they were. And I 100% blame them. And to me, this is going to be awkward because I want to know what's going to happen when the next top guy comes in and he wants to do proper business. Is he going to get the same fucking treatment? Because he doesn't want to fall in line. He doesn't want to play ball. He actually wants to make money. Because the fact that they fired CM Punk and did not put him on two TV shows, well, I should say three TV shows, if you count Rampage, I don't, but I forgot that it exists, and the pay-per-view that took place yesterday. They're all in Chicago. Punk is from Chicago. They all bought tickets in advance to see CM Punk, and you fire him? Justified or not, why the fuck would you do that when you're in Chicago? Just get through the Chicago shows, and then you get rid of the guy, because you just killed your fucking town. You're going to put your talent in front of a hostile, angry audience, because you can say whatever you want about CM Punk. Chicago loves this man. This is an absolute disgrace to pro wrestling, and this whole entire story and this whole entire incident has shown me that AEW doesn't know how to treat its stars, or in this case, star, their biggest star. This company doesn't want to grow, and Tony doesn't care about making money, because he's got billions. So this is just a hobby for him. And I think it's a hobby for everyone else involved. Because they don't care about getting better. They don't care about elevating the business. They don't care about drawing high ratings. They don't care about making money. They just want to go out there and do their shit. Just go out there, do your tumbling act, come back through the curtain, and wait for Dave Meltzer to pat you on the head, give you a cookie, and a five-star rating. And it's sad. Because this company did have the potential to be great. But they've demonstrated they don't want to be great. They're fine with being mediocre. They're fine with just having wrestlers and no stars. They're perfectly okay with having a roster that can easily be replaced. And if you're not going to put value into your company, why should I or anyone else see the value in it? And that's why I've come to a decision here on the Boochcast. And that is, after this episode, I will no longer be recapping AEW on the Boochcast. This all-out recap that I am going to do, and I am doing it for the fans, for the listeners, for you guys that love to hear it. After this recap, I will no longer be recapping AEW. There'll be no dynamites, no high spots with collision, none of it. I am done after this episode. Now, that being said, there is a few things I want to say here, but I'm only going to say them for clarification purposes. I don't want anybody here saying that I'm a hypocrite or someone who goes back on my word. I want to make a few things clear. Notice that I said I am no longer recapping AEW. What that means is there will be no new recaps coming out. I do still have some classic AEW recaps for a couple years back that I am going to be bringing from SoundCloud to the hosting sites I have here, which are, of course, Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio. I will still be bringing those classic episodes here because they're classics. So you're still going to see those. You're just not going to hear any new AEW episodes from me. The only AEW recaps I'm going to post going forward will be the classic ones. I'm still going to do that, but I will not be watching AEW anymore. I will not be recapping it anymore. That is it. Now, that being said, 
said, if you happen to go to an AEW event and you see me there as a fan, whether I'm sitting in the stands with some friends or if I'm at the concession stand getting something to eat, if you see me there, it's for one of two reasons. One, I got some free tickets somehow. Or two, a friend of mine had an extra ticket and decided to invite me and I decided to hang out with that person because I'm, I'm busy and I don't get to hang out with my friends as often. So if someone invites me, I'll go. But as far as me buying a ticket to go see AEW, that's not fucking happening. Now, if you happen to hear any stories of me working at AEW, which I doubt will happen if anybody actually listens to this episode that works for AEW, but if you happen to hear a story about me working there, it's for one of two reasons. One, they hired me for a job, like a social media position, and they're paying me a buttload of money to do it. Because money talks. Bullshit walks. And I've always been upfront about that. In fact, I've said it before and I'll say it again. People in the wrestling business, they're in it for the money. Anyone who says they're not doing it for the money is either a liar, a mark, or both. So if they pay me enough money, I will take a job. I'm not applying for one, but if it's offered to me and the money's good, I'll take it. Or the other option is if Buff Bagwell gets signed to AEW and he decides to take me with him along for the ride. Obviously, I will go with him because Buff and I are friends and he and I have been through a lot together in the last couple years. And... I've been with him since he got on this goal and this mission to get back on TV to have one more run. Now, whether that's an AEW or WWE remains to be seen. I know he's been leaning more towards AEW. So if he does get signed to AEW and decides to take me with him for the ride, I will go to help him out, support him, and be involved in whatever segments or matches I need to be involved in. So in those instances, I will be involved with AEW. But if none of those things happen, then this is the last time you will ever hear me talk about AEW. I can no longer in good conscience continue to support this show when it's blatantly obvious that it is run by immature beta bitch fuckboys who don't want to draw money. And I know that by doing this, I am taking a huge risk because I do know that a lot of my listeners enjoy the AEW recaps. That's why I've hung in there as long as I have with the recaps because you guys kept tuning in. So I wanted to give the people what they want. So if you feel let down or disappointed at all, all I have to say to you is I understand. I'm sorry that I'm disappointing you. And I really, really hope that you love this show enough that you'll at least listen to the other episodes we put out. I hope you will check out the classic episodes that I'm unleashing. I hope you will listen to the NXT recaps. I hope you'll listen to the interviews that I do. I hope you will listen to the variety shows we put out. And I hope you'll listen to some of the political talk we're going to get into in the future with uh, Goth Batty. I hope you guys will continue to support the Boochcast because I love my fans. Anybody that listens to this show and support it, your support means more to me than you can ever imagine. Like I said, that's why I've been watching AEW and recapping it even at times when I wasn't enjoying the product, which has mostly been since the brawl out in 2022. I hung in there for you guys, but I just can't do it anymore, and I'm sorry. Mentally, it is frustrating me to watch this shit. It, it is stressing me out. It's getting in the way of a lot of other things I want to do, and up until recently, I was willing to make that sacrifice, but this company is not worth making that sacrifice anymore. So, again, I apologize. 
apologize to you guys. I hope you will still continue to support the show. And with all that said, I will speak no more on this issue. And we're now going to get into the recap of AEW All Out. And we're going to kick this off with our first official match of the evening. Because there's no reason for me to watch Zero Hour. And none of those matches I give a single fuck about. So they can go away. We're going to get to the main card. Because like I always say, if you're not important enough to be on the main show, you ain't worth talking about any motherfucking way. So the first official match of the evening is for the Ring of Honor World Tag Team Titles. Better than you, baby, defends the titles against the Dark Order with Evil Uno. Now, of course, representing the Dark Order in this match are Alex Reynolds and John Silver, which means that they won the Battle Royal on Rampage. And with all the other teams that were in there, I, I thought to myself as they were coming down to the ring, seriously, this is the team you're going to put on a pay-per-view? Th- this is seriously how we're going to run things? We're going to put the mediocre mud show people on the pay-per-views instead of top guys that can make you money? But then again, it, it is AEW, and that is their prerogative. It's more about making friends than making money. That being said, I got to hand it to the Dark Order. I was in a state of fucking shock during this match. And the reason I'm shocked is because there was no goofy, comedy, silly bullshit in this match. The John Silver I saw in this match is the John Silver that Elvis and I saw when we watched him in, a, in an indie match years ago. And I think it was the guy, Warhorse. We were kind of getting an idea of who he was. I think he was wrestling in a debut match on Dynamite. This was years ago when Elvis was the correspondent. And we happened to see John Silver in that particular match. And John Silver did very, very well. Then, of course, he came to AEW and he was doing the fucking, you know, jokester shit about being Mustard Boy or Skittle Boy or I'm Big and Meaty and all that fucking shit. And it's like, all right, I can't take this fucking guy seriously. Get him off the TV. Now, this is the John Silver that Elvis and I saw. This was an incredible tag team match. It was tag team wrestling. The Dark Order was wrestling. They were working. They were using psychology and storytelling and great tag team offense. At one point, Adam Cole's in the ring by himself because MJF hurt his neck. I'll get to that in a minute. And then, at one point, uh, Alex Reynolds did a discus lariat. John Silver does a step up in Seguri. Alex Reynolds is a stunner. John Silver does a German suplex. And then, Alex Reynolds leaps over and does a jackknife pin. And then, Adam Cole kicks out at two. That was one of the most impressive tag team combos I've ever seen. Like, this is the type of tag team wrestling that we saw in the beginning with AEW. Back when uh, we used to say that the tag team division was their bread and butter. Because they had the best tag team division in all of wrestling. And their women's division was the worst in all of wrestling. And the singles guys were kind of in the middle. Obviously, over time, that's evolved a little bit. But now we're getting back to the great tag team wrestling. Although, technically, this is for the Ring of Honor World Tag Team Titles. So, I can't tell if it's great Ring of Honor Tag Team Wrestling or great AEW Tag Team Wrestling. Or if it's just the same fucking thing because it's all under Tony Khan. But either way, I loved that moment in the match. And, of course, the psychology on the neck. Because they talked about that leading up to All Out. That MJF hurt his neck in the match with Adam Cole. He did that snap suplex on the apron. I think it was like a snap dragon suplex or something like that. It was not a weird suplex. Either way, he injured his neck. So they paid a lot of attention to the neck. Where at one point, uh, John Silver clubbed MJF in the back and he hit and he he grabbed his neck. And at times, he hurt his neck. At one point, they even used a chair and bashed him in the neck. He had to be carried to the back. And Adam Cole had to fight all by himself. Until the Dark Order hit Adam Cole with the double clothesline. Which as we know is better than you, Bebe's tag team finish. Adam Cole kicks out. MJF comes down pissed off. He gets the hot tag. Comes in like a house of fire. And he's holding on to his neck as... 
as he's fighting. And that's what makes MJF great. He's selling the neck the entire time. That was the psychology. Every time the Dark Order did a move on MJF, it always targeted his neck. And even when MJF was getting offense, he was favoring the neck. He was using like chops and one-arm clotheslines while still favoring the neck. Hit a scoop slam, check his neck. Hit another scoop slam, check his neck. He did the meeting of the minds. He did the, the 10 punches in the corner. He It was fucking amazing. MJF is using basic moves. Some of those moves even Hogan used and was able to get them over with a crowd that normally doesn't pop for shit like that. And that's why MJF is a generational talent because he doesn't need the fancy flips and tricks to get over with this crowd. That's what makes him now currently with Punk out of the way the best on the roster. This was amazing to me. I did not expect to enjoy a match as much as I did on this card tonight. It's almost kind of making me miss AEW. It's not enough to keep me around, unfortunately, but it's enough to make me go, there's something great that I'm going to miss. And of course, the crowd popped when MJF hit the kangaroo kick. Then they got the double clothesline for the win. Like I said, phenomenal tag team match. Hands down, one of the best tag team matches I have seen in this company. This is a match I will remember for a long time. And then once the match is over, they're checking on MJF and uh, making sure he's okay and he's able to get up. Adam Cole's carrying the belts, and by belts I mean the two Ring of Honor titles and the world title, because, you know, MJF wants to walk to the back on his own accord. Next thing we know, Samoa Joe's music plays, he comes walking out, and then all of a sudden, he shoves MJF to the side as he's walking to the ring. MJF turns around, and he's pissed. And Adam Cole's trying to tell him, hey man, chill, let it go, your neck's hurting, don't let it bother you, let's just get to the back. MJF's like, fuck all that, runs to the ring, and starts fighting Samoa Joe. And they are now brawling in the ring. Crowd's going nuts. Samoa Joe eventually gets MJF in a front fi- in a front face lock and is like choking him out. And then all of a sudden, security comes, breaks everything up. They're separating MJF and Samoa Joe's just sitting on the turnbuckle, getting all like, you know, arrogant, all excited as they're trying to fight their way out. And eventually the fight happens again. They break it up. MJF gets taken to the back by security and Samoa Joe's just standing in the ring all calm. And all I'm thinking is this. Really? Seriously? All this does is reassure my point that this business is full of pussies. And I'll tell you why I say that. I literally just heard Tony Khan the night before talk about a fight breaking out where Punk had Jack Off Perry and a fucking front face lot choking him out. And everybody like, this is horrible. This is unsafe. See, a Punk needs to be fired. Meanwhile, we see a fight in the fucking ring like that. Security's coming out. They don't seem to be in fucking jeopardy. And I guarantee you, neither one of these some bitches is getting fired. So now you have basically buried yourselves and allowed your security to go out there and separate them, despite the fact that our lives were in danger. Our security, our production, I don't feel safe. That's why I had to fire my top guy. But these guys are still gonna have a job. Y'all are pussies. This is fucking hilarious to me. And don't get me wrong, it was great. I know MJF got triggered because they're playing off the fact that years ago, when Samoa Joe was in NXT, MJF was an extra. He was one of the security guards going with Samoa Joe, and MJF was walking too close to Samoa Joe, so we kind of shoved him to the side, like, hey, I'm the star. Don't fucking walk in front of me, kid. So 
So I get they were trying to play off of that, which was great. But just the way that played out and the way this whole scenario went after what happened with Punk and Perry and Wembley, this was in bad taste in that regard. And on that note, we're going to move on to the next match of the evening for the Ring of Honor Television Championship. Samoa Joe defends the title against Shane Taylor. These two brought the fucking fight to each other, and it was a fight. They didn't go out there and do silly shit. Samoa Joe did have one, you know, moment where he did like a suicide dive out of the ring, but the camera people were able to set it up to where it didn't look like Shane was standing there waiting for it because he was hunched over, you know, kind of, you know, getting his bearings when Samoa Joe bounced off the rope. But whether he was standing straight up when he came at him or if he timed it perfectly, we'll never know because the camera people didn't capture it, which was fucking smart. So we don't know if this was a phony dive or not. And I love that. The not knowing is what makes it work. And I also love the fact that Samoa Joe taped his fists, but Shane Taylor taped his wrists. And they said that's because most of Shane's power comes from his wrist. And that's why he tapes the wrists up. And it's like, credit to the commentators for bringing that to our attention. I think it was Nigel McGinnis, if I remember correctly. But that was well done. I mean, everything in this match worked. The punches, the hard-hitting clotheslines, the fucking... At one point, Samojo had a chokehold, and then Shane dragged him into the ring over the top rope, and then just hit a falling stunner, or a fall-away stunner, whatever the fuck it was called, and then went up to the middle rope and did a splash, and Samojo kicked out. It was just beautiful. And then, of course, in the end, Samojo locks in the cure food a clutch, and Shane Taylor taps out. I, I don't like the fact that he tapped out. I would have preferred he'd been, like, choked out, or Samojo had hit, like, a muscle buster or something because I feel like this is a rivalry that can continue but I guess they wanted to make it one and done but either way phenomenal fight this looked like a real fight between two real men who actually want to fucking kill each other they brought something into their match that you don't see a lot in AEW and that is believability this is wrestling this is how it should be done this is a match that people need to take notes on whether you're in a wrestling school or if you're a young guy on the roster and you actually want to learn, which I don't think y'all do anymore, but hey, maybe I'm wrong. If you do want to learn, fucking watch this match. It was beautiful. It was a fucking work of art. I loved every minute of it. I wish this match could have gone longer, but with the circumstances surrounding it and the way they were laying it out, I'm glad it didn't, because this didn't need to go long. It's just something I would have liked, because there's a lot of matches that went long tonight, but very few were as good as this. I loved all six minutes and 25 seconds of this match, and it is proof you do not need to have a long dragged out match to do your job and entertain the crowd. They were able to get it done in 6 minutes and 25 seconds. That requires more talent than the guys who go 20-30 minutes doing acrobatic bullshit. They went 6 minutes and 25 seconds, had a couple off the top rope moments, but the rest of the time, they're fucking fighting. It was brutal, it was violent, and it was a masterpiece. And on that note, we're going to move on to the next match of the evening. This time there's an AEW title being defended here, and it's the TNT Championship. Luchasaurus with Christian Cage defends the title against Darby Allen with Nick Wayne. Tactoe three in a row, ladies and gentlemen. This was another good match, and I'm going to be honest, I did not expect it to be. I had very low expectations for this match, but it managed to do very well. And it did very well for one simple reason. They allowed Luchasaurus to be 
a fucking monster. And they didn't let Darby Allen do silly spot monkey bullshit to bury the monster. They allowed Luchasaurus to dominate most of the match as a big man should. At one point, he literally picked him up and slammed his head into the fucking ring steps. And I'm sitting there like, oh, that's gotta fucking hurt. And it busted him open. So Darby got some color, but he got color in a believable way because you just slammed your head into the steel steps. You do that hard enough, motherfucker's gonna bleed. So that works in this match. And there was no blood in the last two matches, so this is acceptable. So as long as nobody bleeds until way later in the evening, we should be okay. Also, what I liked about this match was in the moments where Darby Allen did do some of his spots, believable shit happened. Like he went for a move off the top rope and Luchasaurus didn't even move. He like ran right into his chest and hit the floor. You know, he, when he dove out of the ring onto Christian, he was distracted by Nick Wayne when they were arguing outside because Christian was trying to convince Nick Wayne to throw in the towel when Luchasaurus was damn near breaking his back that was being favored by Darby throughout the entire match. He had the tape on and everything and they were torturing him. Like even putting the ring steps on his back and like Luchasaurus standing on top of it and like just Darby in excruciating pain. There was storytelling in this match. In fact, this is the first time since the match with CM Punk that Darby was in a match I enjoyed. And at one point he, they did a code red off the rope, off the top turnbuckle. And if Darby Allen was going to win this match, obviously I didn't want him to and I was glad he didn't. But if Darby Allen was going to win this match, that would have been the only acceptable finish. Is him hitting a code red off the turnbuckle, because again it was done believably, and getting the one, two, three. Any other way would have been fake as fuck and killed this entire match. But then, soon afterwards, Nick Wayne gets knocked out, and then Christian's going to go for a concerto, and Darby gets distracted because he's about to go for the coffin drop on Luchasaurus, but Luchasaurus eventually gets up, grabs him, hits two tombstone pile drivers, then tosses him into the corner, then hits some clothesline from behind for the one, two, three. And Luchasaurus retains the title. I felt like after the two tombstone pile drivers, that should have been it. I would have loved if he even crossed his arms and stuck the tongue out like the Undertaker. I thought that would have been a cool finish. And it would have worked for Luchasaurus because his whole gimmick is he's a fucking dinosaur-like monster. So him sticking a tongue out is way more believable than when Undertaker did it. Now, just to be clear, I am not saying Luchasaurus is better than the Undertaker. On Luchasaurus's best day, he couldn't carry Undertaker's bags into the locker room. I'm just saying there's a little bit of a similarity there as far as size, and I would have felt like the tongue would be more believable with Luchasaurus if you're going to do a tombstone anyway. Also, you could clearly tell that Darby Allen's head was not touching the mat, and on the rare moments where it did, he was kind of like sliding it down after his knees already touched, but obviously, they're not, their, knees, their head's not supposed to touch the mat. That's how you protect your opponent, but also, it should not be blatantly obvious that you're protecting your opponent. You need to protect him without letting the audience know that's the key. But again, these are just minor things that I'm looking at. Overall, I did enjoy this match, and I'm surprised that Nick Wayne didn't turn on Darby Allen because earlier on Collision, I did watch some clips of Collision in case anything happened that needed to be explained here. Uh, apparently, Nick Wayne had lost the match or whatever, and apparently he was upset. He said during his interview with Tony Schiavone, he was upset that Darby Allen forgave A.R. Fox because of what happened when him and Swerve trashed the Wayne Academy. Well, Darby Allen came out and said the reason he did it was because he's not going to carry hate in his heart forever because he said that when he left the Wayne Academy, he left on bad terms with Nick's family and his father had passed away before he Darby could ever make that right and he regretted 
it. But also, he was trained by A.R. Fox, and he and when A.R. Fox got kicked out of the Mogul Embassy, he saw that as an opportunity to try to make things right with Fox if he wanted to, because he didn't want the same thing to happen with Fox, where A.R. Fox dies, God forbid, and Darby's not able to repair it. And he said, look, you may not be able to do it right now, and I'm not asking you to do it right now, but try to let go what happened. And Christian comes out and tries to accuse Darby of having Nick Wayne as a little petty project because he thinks that he's trying to make things right with his family because of the bridge that he burned with Nick Wayne's father. And I felt with all of that, that could have been a catalyst for Nick Wayne to turn on Darby Allen and have Nick Wayne maybe turn heel and see where he goes from there. Maybe get some depth into his character. Because right now he doesn't have a character. The only character he has is being a reckless child who we're all hoping will get better someday. But I would have liked to have seen a heel turn and have that affect the outcome of this match and then maybe build to something either on TV, on a major TV event or if you want to carry this out to what I think the next pay-per-view is full gear in November if I'm not mistaken. So if we could drag this to full gear and have Darby Allen versus Nick Wayne at full gear, ideally that would be great. Grant, I won't be watching that show, but I'm just telling you how I would book this from a storytelling stamp. And like I said, I was very impressed with this match because I expected to hate it. I really did. And I'm glad it delivered. It had, it made me believe in what I was seeing, which is the key thing I'm always looking for. They did that here. Luchasaurus retained the title. And the only thing in this match that wasn't believable was the fact that it lasted 12 minutes and 20 seconds. But because Darby has established himself as a top guy in AEW, I personally don't see him as a top guy, but the fans do. I guess it works in that regard. And on that note, we're going to move on to the next match of the evening. We've got Miro one-on-one against Powerhouse Hobbs. Okay, this is the part of the show where I'm about to start sounding like a fucking mark because... Once again, another incredible fucking match. I mean, what the hell? Did, did they know I was going to quit watching AEW after this and they're trying to entice me to stay? Because that's the only logical way they come up with for how they can have this many great matches in a row. I have never seen this in all the AEW pay-per-views I have watched. I'm probably going to convince Elvis to listen to this because this is the most positive I've ever been on an AEW episode if you don't count the CM Punk rant I did earlier. But this match was also very well done. Why? Because they did it in believable ways. They had two guys go out there who were big men, and they had a big man match. There were slams. There were Colorado tie-outs where they were struggling. Hobbs gets the upper hand the first time. Miro gets the upper hand the second time. They're trying to clothesline each other. They're doing everything they can to knock the other guy off their feet. And they're doing all this violent shit, and it's getting over. And the fact that it took not one, but two accolades to beat Hobbs. Now, again, I wouldn't have liked to have seen a tap out since they're trying to get, you know, both these guys over. But the fact that there was at least a struggle before the tap out or the fact that it was there was one he was able to fight out the first time and then tapped out the second time, that at least helps Hobbs a little bit. There was even the handshake at the end, which I thought looked very well. And the way they even the way they gripped their hands together kind of looked like Carl Weathers and Arnold Schwarzenegger in Predator. I thought it was very well done. And then they fucked the whole thing up at the end. Power. Hobbs attacks Miro from behind, beats the shit out of him. I don't know why they're going to continue this feud. I don't know why they need to. He just tapped out. Why do I need to see another match? I don't. It's ridiculous. And then all of a sudden, some music plays. We see Hot and Flexible on the Titantron, and out comes Lana, who apparently is going by CJ Perry. I think that's her real name. But in WWE, we knew her as Lana. 
Miro's wife comes out. What the fuck is she doing here? You got two big, strong guys in the ring. What the fuck is Lana gonna do? And I'm gonna call her Lana because that's the only name I can use right now to help me get through this. How the fuck are you gonna use her in this feud? She has to go get a chair, take her fucking shoes off. She's now getting in the ring fucking barefoot. I don't know why. It's not like she's gonna be fighting because we all know in wrestling today, they don't let the guys and the girls mix it up because of political correctness. So, what the fuck? This was stupid. And then he, she hits him with a chair. Thank God Hobbs didn't sell that shit. Now he's looking at her like, oh, I like this girl. And the girl's just fucking standing there. It's like, get the fuck out of the ring. Oh, that's right. We, I know the guy's not going to hurt me. So why would I fucking run? Which goes to the point that I was making earlier during the CM Punk rant. If you know somebody's not going to hurt you, you're not going to run away. You're not scared of somebody that's not going to hurt you. That's why a lot of times, and I'll go on this rant for a while. It's why when you see women throw a drink in a guy's face or slap a guy in the face or do anything derogatory to a guy, they just sit there and keep talking shit because they know the guy's not going to hit them back because if he does, he's considered an asshole even though you are doing something that warrants getting smacked around. So this further proves my point. Then Miro gets up, hits Hobbs with a fucking chair. Then he's staring down his own wife and leaves the ring because he's not happy that she's there. Well, that was fucking stupid. So you had a fantastic match because it was a fantastic match. These guys were incredible and you completely fuck it up with this aftermath bullshit post-match bullshit why it didn't need to be there if the guys and the girls are not going to mix it up in the ring there's no reason to have a woman come out to save Miro unless powerhouse Hobbs already had a girl with her with him and while he's holding her she's slapping him around then you can have Lana come out beat that girl up or whatever you could have did something there because you had what was a great fucking match and you killed it with this stupid shit and then when it couldn't get any worse the fans were fucking this one up yeah I'm calling out the Chicago fans on this one maybe I'm out of the loop maybe it's just me but what the fuck are you doing chanting meat in the middle of a fucking match every time there's a hit you're going meat 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 I've been watching pretty much every promo Miro has cut in the build to this match and I remember seeing him when he first came in as the best man and the video gamer before they finally got him away from that shit, gave him the Redeemer gimmick, and made him a grown-ass man. At no point in any promo that Miro's ever cut did he ever mention anything about having a meaty body. Or even talking about eating meat. Or doing or wearing a t-shirt that had meat on it. The word meat, I mean. Not, obviously not a meat shirt. You know, this is Miro, not Lady Gaga. But none of that shit was happening. So what's the fucking point? Why do fans insist on chanting stupid shit in the middle of a match? Especially if it's a guy you want to see get over. Now don't get me wrong. I'm glad the fans were behind Miro. I'm glad that when he was lifting his hands up and his arms up before he would run and do a machka kick. Like doing that, you know, Rusev crush is no longer Rusev because he's not Rusev anymore. But the and the crowd would go, oh, that's great. That's wonderful. I am all for the fans getting behind a wrestler that deserves to get over. But when you chant silly, stupid shit, you are doing just as much damage to that wrestler's push than the creative team could ever do. If you want a wrestler to be taken seriously, you have to take them seriously when they're in the ring. If you treat them like a comedy show, that's exactly how they're going to behave. Because they're going to think, oh, you want 
want silly shit, so I'm gonna go out there and do silly shit. And I don't want to see Miro do silly shit. I want Miro to be the redeemer. I want to see grown-ass men in a ring fight. And notice they emphasize that these were grown-ass men fighting. Because we know later on, we're gonna see the children. This was a beautiful fucking match that was destroyed by stupid fuckery. Jesus Christ. Seriously. Wrestling is a business for grown-ups. Act like fucking grown-ups, for Christ's sake. And on that note, we're gonna move on to the next match of the evening for the TBS Championship. Chris Statlander defends the title against Ruby Soho with Soraya. Ladies and gentlemen, today is opposite day because AEW is literally doing the opposite of what they normally do because this was another great match. I, I can't shit upon it as much as I want to. Really, there were only two spots in this match that irritated me. One was when they were over by the corner by the barricade and there was a moment where Ruby Soho hopped on this chair, wrapped her legs around uh, Chris Statlander's head and kind of pulled her in to like slam her into a chair or into the guardrail or whatever the fuck it was. But that match looked obviously planned, obviously phony, and really fucking stupid. So I hated that spot. The only other thing that I hated was the finish. This was one of those matches that was great up until the finish. Like, these women were tearing the fucking house down. This is the best I've ever seen Chris Statlander wrestle, period, in AEW. I definitely can tell she's got some size on her. I can definitely tell she's been working on her in-ring skill. The avalanche off the top rope I thought was great. Uh, I, I also loved um, the uh, Destination Nowhere finish that Ruby Soho did. Ashley did the eat defeat from the top rope, and then she did the Destination Nowhere and then hooked both legs for the cover. That should have been the fucking finish. Ruby Soho should have walked out with the TBS Championship. And it ends because they go for the spray and then Tony Storm takes the spray away and she's like spraying it up a little bit, looking like she's lost her damn mind. And she costs Ruby Soho the title. So obviously, Tony Storm is clearly leaving the outcasts. Because there's no fucking way they can reconcile with her after she just cost Ruby Soho the TBS championship. You just fucked your friend out of winning a title. There's no way you can reconcile after that, at least this soon. This is one of those reconciliations that would have to happen like years from now when they reform the group to go against a common enemy. Like right now, you, you ain't repairing this shit. I think Ruby Soho and Tony Storm is about to be the next big rivalry. Because I don't think Soraya and Tony Storm are going to lock up anytime soon. But I'm sure they're going to want Soraya to hold on to the AEW women's title for a very long time. So I don't see Tony Storm and Soraya fighting anytime soon. Or if they do, Tony Storm ain't winning that title back. That's just not happening. If Tony wins that title back, it's going to be months to a year down the road. That being said... When I get back to the match, incredible. The chemistry these women had was great. The moves were fluid. They looked believable. They definitely came here to wrestle and work, which I thought was very well done. And like I said, outside of the finish and that one stupid spot on the outside, overall it was a good match. Although I didn't like the fact that when Ruby messed up, she was able to like get in the corner and like yell at the ref and put her hands on the ref a little bit. Because again, that's the bias of, you know, girls can touch the guys, but the guys can touch the girls. Last I checked, this was wrestling. This ain't a fucking strip club. Let's get some fairness or don't have the women interact with the male referee. And then at one point, Soraya's yelling at the cameraman to get out of her way. And it's like, bitch, he's shooting the show. You can, you can fucking stand anywhere. Walk your bitch ass around the fucking cameraman. I don't know if she was trying to be a heel to get her heat, but I think that she was overselling the heat on this one. I think Soraya was trying way too hard to get her heat as a valet in this match. You don't have to try that hard. You don't got to be that overdramatic. And she was way overdramatic in this match. 
But honestly, those are the only like minor things that I'm nitpicking at. Overall, great job from both women. It was incredible. It was back and forth. And again, there's a hot streak going on here with these matches. So far, these are that's like one, two, three, four. That's like five matches where so far everything's been stellar. So I'm intrigued to see what happens as we move on to the next match of the evening. We've got a strap match. Brian Danielson one-on-one against Ricky Starks. Holy shit. This was violent. This was bloody. And again, we hadn't seen blood since the Darby Allen match, so this is okay. I like that they're spreading the blood out. They're not overdoing it. They're not going crazy. I also noticed how the blood came when Ricky put the weight belt on, punched Brian Danielson with it, and then you notice he walked around for a bit, and the camera stayed away from Brian Danielson which I liked, so that way we wouldn't see him blade. Because that was clearly a blade job when you see the blood coming out of Brian Danielson's face. He was clearly blading, which is fine. I have nothing against blading if it's done by people who know what the fuck they're doing, which Brian clearly does. But I like the fact the camera didn't pan to it or cut to it. They knew at some point, get the fucking camera away from Brian until you see blood. If there is no blood, keep the camera off of him until he's able to do it. And then also make sure there's no blade in his hand. Make sure the blade is fucking gone. Because we do not need to see the wrestlers blading. That is bad. I also noticed that Ricky Starks was bleeding at some point when he kept getting jammed in the ring post. And the fact they were damaging the shoulder to help out with the LaBelle lock later. Now, I know I'm kind of jumping ahead here, but I do want to know that this match obviously got set up on Collision because originally, Ricky Starks had challenged Ricky the Diva Steamboat to a match. And the Diva came out and cut a lackluster promo like he always does and basically said that he has a contract because he wanted to do this old school and it said Ricky Starks versus the Dragon. So Ricky signs the contract. And by that, I mean Ricky Starks. Then, Steamboat reveals that the contract is to face the dragon, but instead it's going to be this dragon, and out came Brian Danielson, who we all know as the American Dragon. So, Brian Danielson comes back from the injury that he suffered during the match with Okada at Forbidden Door, signs the contract, and made this match official. Now, they decided to make this a strap match. And like I said before, it was bloody, it was violent, it had a very good finish where uh, Ricky Starks was choked out, he didn't tap, he didn't quit, and they emphasized that. So we had a submission take place that actually involved someone not tapping out that had no business tapping out. So very good in that regard. However, my, my biggest gripe with this match is that I hate... Hate, with a passion, strap matches that end in pinfall or submission. That is not how a strap match is supposed to fucking go, and it really pisses me off that modern wrestling, whether it's AEW, WWE, or whatever the fuck, continues to do this. A strap match is supposed to end when one wrestler touches all four corners in secession. You gotta touch all four in a row in one round. So that means if you hit three and you get stopped on that fourth one, you gotta start all over again. That's a fucking strap match. I would have preferred the finish to be when Brian Daniels said, it's time to kick his fucking head in. And then he does the stomps and stomps his head down. After that, he dragged Ricky Starks and hit all four corners and that ended the match. Rather than having to do a technical submission, which something like that should have been saved for the Samoa Joe-Shane Taylor match. That would have been a better place 
to put that. Here, there should have been corner touching. If you're not touching all four corners, you're not doing a real strap match. You're just having another glorified fight. So, by that merit alone, it was hard to enjoy the match. But I can't take away from the violence and the physicality that both men brought to the table and that we knew they were going to bring to the table because both these men are incredible workers. And they had the crowd on their side. The fact that both men bled helped. And, of course, the diva had to get involved but not do much. He's basically sitting there doing commentary, running his mouth because he's making the most amount of money for doing the least amount of work because he's a diva. And then at one point, he did get a little physical with Big Bill, but eventually there was a choke involved. But before anything else could happen, Ricky got thrown over the top rope, landed on Big Bill. Daniel Bryan did a dive off the ropes onto them, and that was it. If Big Bill could have put Ricky Steamboat through a table, I would have been a happy, 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 happy guy. But, of course, the diva, he's not taking a bump. He's sitting there going, nope, that don't work for me, brother. No bump tonight. No bump. No bump. Now, the thing I found the most intriguing about this, and this is kind of where I had to break the fourth wall with you guys, was that they have a pay-per-view on October 1st, and it's called Wrestle Dream. Now, I know earlier when I was talking about the feud with the outcasts that it would drag on to full gear because that was the next pay-per-view. Well, that's because, here's the fourth wall break, I'm actually doing this recap in sections because I tried to watch All Out at its official start time. But the streams were so lagging and buffering on the shit that I was trying to watch. Because I don't buy these fucking pay-per-views. Although, looking back on it, this probably wouldn't have been a pay-per-view that I paid money to see. But, at the time, I don't, I wasn't going to take that gamble. So, I live stream. I was trying to stream it, couldn't get it on anything. So, I had to wait for the whole pay-per-view to be over so I could watch it without having to worry about it constantly buffering and buffering and buffering and buffering and buffering and buffering. And, buffering and thus adding to the frustration that I've already had from all the shit that I've dealt with this week and all the drama going on in wrestling. So, I'm now having to watch this in sections and I'm re- Recapping it in sections. So that's why at the time I had no idea about the Wrestle Dream pay-per-view, which doesn't really matter. I'm not going to see it unless one of my friends wants me to come over and watch it with them. But as far as me recapping it, that's not fucking happening. Like I said, today is my last pay-per-view. And as good as this pay-per-view has been, I want to go out on this because I don't see any AEW show being better than this. Hell, this was better than Wembley, in my opinion, at least thus far. And on that note, we're going to move on here to the next match of the evening. We got some tag team action. We have the Blackpool Combat Club versus Eddie Kingston and Shibata. Okay, this match, I'm going to be brutally honest right now. This was boring as shit. It wasn't necessarily a bad match, even though there were some bad moments. But in general, this was fucking boring. This match did not need to happen at all. Now, just to be clear, from the Blackpool Combat Club, it was Claudio Castanoli and Wheeler Useless in this one. They were representing the Blackpool Combat Club in this match. Because obviously, Brian Danielson was facing Ricky Starks. Moxley's in the main event. I'll get to that later. But this match was just dull. The only things that were interesting was in the beginning with uh, Shibata and Wheeler... They were actually doing some old school amateur wrestling here. Like the type of shit you'd see in high school and college level. So I enjoyed that. I also um, enjoyed the chemistry between Shibata and Kingston when they were doing the whole thing where they had Wheeler choked out in the corner. Then if he broke free, Eddie chopped him. He went, He fell backwards. Boom, got choked again. I thought that was a very good run. But of course, because this involves... 
you know, Japanese wrestlers and Eddie Kingston's big on New Japan. There was a lot of strong style, no sell bullshit. Like the uppercut trading back and forth, I thought was goddamn ridiculous. Um, Eddie Kingston kicking out of the neutralizer, I thought was goddamn ridiculous. There was even a moment where Eddie Kingston hit a back fist on Claudio. Claudio literally dropped to the ground like he was unconscious. And instead of going for the fucking pen, Eddie has to pick him up because no, I gotta do the Northern Lights bomb. This is why I hate modern wrestling so much because they're more concerned with doing their moves than trying to win the match. The key thing is to go for the win. If a guy is already knocked out, why the fuck would you pick him back up for? Cover him! One, two, three, get your hand raised. Why the fuck do you care how you win? Take the win! And then the whole thing ends with Claudio hitting Kingston with an uppercut. So, he kicks out of his finish, but not out of an uppercut. That literally didn't even knock out Shibata. Are you starting to get the picture? Do you, do you guys see how ridiculous that sounds? Doesn't it, and doesn't it seem even more ridiculous when you're watching it on a TV screen or a computer monitor in front of your fucking face? I liked the majority of the matches on this show tonight. Why? Because they were believable. This is the only match that I've seen thus far that had no believability in it. This so far is the shittiest match I've seen thus far. Everything else before this was great. There were some minor things I nitpicked at, but overall, they were great. This match was not. It wasn't a shit show, but it had no business being here. This should have been Claudio and Kingston one-on-one. But maybe they're going to save that for Wrestle Dream, I guess. I mean, if they want to do that, cool. Maybe it'll draw some money. But this is your biggest. This is one of your biggest pay-per-views. You could have had the one-on-one match right here. Hell, you could have made it for the Ring of Honor World Championship. Then at least there'd be a world title on the line in this fucking pay-per-view. But instead, you gave us this incredibly shitty tag team match that was boring as hell, had no believability, and was sad to watch. And now this is the part of the show, ladies and gentlemen, where, yes, even though this is the last pay-per-view I'm recapping for AEW, I am still invoking the elite rule. So I will be skipping the next two matches here. Although, I will say, because I know I saw it on Twitter, the highlight for me was the dumb fucks getting booed out of the fucking building. Now, I've noticed throughout this whole CM Punk elite ordeal, fans and even other analysts besides me have kind of lightened up on Kenny Omega a little bit in this whole thing. Kenny has kind of been the person who's not as desperate to get rid of Punk as the Young Bucks are. Kenny is starting to, on some level, mature a tiny bit. I still don't want to see him wrestle. I still don't want to hear him cut promos. I'm still not a fan of his. But at least he has a, a level of maturity that's higher than the dumb fucks. Because apparently they're the biggest cancer cells out of all of them. I honestly think if Kenny could distance himself from the bucks and get the fuck out of this group and maybe change up his style a little bit, he could become as great as everyone says he is. But as long as he's hanging out with that group, they're going to continue to pull him down and destroy his credibility. Because the Young Bucks are trash. Always have been, always will be. And to see them get booed in Chicago while also trying to troll the crowd was a sight to see. Because that's how Chicago should feel. Because this whole Cucamonga click is the reason why the biggest money draw in all of wrestling is no longer here. And why this company is on the verge of going out of business. They're not going to go out of business right away, 
But I can tell you right now, the countdown has begun. And when Elvis and I first started talking AEW, and I, I didn't have a lot of hopes in the beginning, I said I didn't know if this company would last about five to seven years before they'd shut down at the rate they were going. So far... They've been in business for four years, and they're just now on the decline. So who knows? Three years from now, I might be right. But if they make it past that, well, then I guess I'm wrong. But I can tell you right now, they're losing a lot of fans over this. And they're losing a lot of respect from people over this. And I'll be honest, during these matches, I just kept finishing up my GOP uh, debate review. That's pretty much what I've been doing. Taking my notes on the GOP debate that took place last month. Because I'm getting ready to uh, record that review with Goth Batty. And that'll be dropping on a future Boochcast episode. And I don't have an exact date on when it will be released. But my goal is to have it released before September 27th. Which is when the second debate is supposed to take place. So that's my goal. I'm hoping to reach it. We'll find out together. And on that note, we're going to move on to the main event of the evening. Can't believe this is the main event. For the AEW International Championship, Orange Cassidy defends the title against John Moxley. This main event shocked the shit out of me. Because again, you have to understand something about AEW. They're not used to having matches like this. And by that I mean matches with psychology, storytelling, believability. Especially when Orange Cassidy is in a wrestling ring. You know you're going to see a lot of spot monkey, phony, silly bullshit. It is almost expected with every Orange Cassidy match. That's why 99% of them I've hated. This is the 1% that I didn't. Orange Cassidy actually worked to his standards in this match. John Moxley beat the shit out of him, and that's exactly what should have happened. John Moxley didn't sell stupid shit that Orange Cassidy did, except there was like one dive out of the ring that looked phony, and the Slumdog Millionaire, I'm not a fan of that move. And, of course, there was that spear that made me cringe. And I'm sorry, Orange Cassidy should never be allowed to spear anyone. In fact, the only time Orange Cassidy should ever hit someone with a spear is if he's wrestling Darby Allen. I'm sorry. I know people want to say, like, people make fun of me because of my size. I'm sorry. A man his size doing a spear is not fucking believable on this planet or any other. It's not. The fact that he was able to spear John Moxley was fucking embarrassing to watch. But the fact that that was the only embarrassing thing to watch in this match... Is, is shocking to me. Because usually with Orange Cassidy, there's a fuck ton of things to be embarrassed about. But he did a hell of a job. Of course, there was the... They bled in this match again. But again, there had been a few matches that had gone on since then that had blood. And this wasn't a blood-filled show. So when this happened, it wasn't as big of a deal. And by that, I mean it wasn't overkill. They spaced out the matches that had blood. And everybody else pretty much knew, okay, we're not going to bleed in our matches. But we need blood in these matches to tell the story and make it work. And some people were confused that Brian Danielson went out with the Blackpool Combat Club because they assumed he was a babyface because of the match with Ricky Starks. But really, when you think about it, and I noticed that when Moxley was being helped to the back by the Blackpool Combat Club after the match, people have to remember, when it comes to the Blackpool Combat Club... Their whole persona is about the integrity of the business, but also trying to make everyone around them better. If you can put up a hell of a fight, whether you win or lose against them, you can earn their respect. 
because they try to bring the best out of every opponent that they have. And Moxley brought out the best in Orange Cassidy. Cassidy bled, he sweat, he paid the price. And when he knew he was dead and done, he gave that middle finger thing like, come finish me off. Boom, he hit the Death Rider. One, two, three. Now, of course, Orange Cassidy kicked out of a fuck ton of things prior to that. Like, including a Death Rider earlier in the match. A fucking pile driver. I mean, Moxley went insane. He was like bloodthirsty in this thing. It was, it was an intense, violent, bloody match. And something I did not expect in an international championship match. And in the end, John Moxley won, which was the right thing to do because this international title needs to go on an actual star. But Orange Cassidy was over even in defeat. And that shows the talent that Moxley has when he's not doing crazy deathmatch shit. When he's actually working a match, he actually knows what he's doing. When he channels his inner Dean Ambrose, you get a good match out of Moxley. And when Orange Cassidy's not doing stupid shit and listening to the veteran, he can put on a good match as well. And the crowd there loved him afterwards. So this is definitely the best match of Orange Cassidy's career thus far. This is the best match he's ever had. This is the best he's ever looked. And he has the potential to be a serious player, not just in AEW, but in wrestling as well after seeing this. And it actually earned the right to be called the main event. And it did exactly what it needed to do. And... I am shocked that I'm actually saying this about a match involving Orange Cassidy because I had every intention of tearing this main event apart, but they didn't give me anything to tear apart. And I don't know if it's because the people on the AEW roster are finally learning how to fucking work or if they were so scared that this Chicago crowd was going to destroy them that they thought, oh, we might actually have, we should actually put on a match and actually work and not worry about our stupid tumbling acts so this Chicago crowd doesn't try to fucking kill us. Because with the exception of the FTR and the Bucks taking on Bullet Club Gold, the crowd was into the show. They only made their CM Punk issues made or had their voices be heard when that match was taking place the eight-man tag that's the only time they were booing and angry and expressing their contempt and disdain for cm punk's termination and i know i've said a lot of good things about this pay-per-view tonight because overall it was great there were a few you know bad moments in a, here and there and there's only one shitty match that i saw because remember i invoked the elite rule so i skipped their matches but as i said before as great as this pay-per-view was, it's not enough to keep me tuned in. Plus, if I'm going to stop recapping AEW, and I am, I'd rather go out on top like most people do. You want to have that, that match you can hang your hat on to say, I did my absolute best, I'm not going to be able to top this, I'm out. And when it comes to recapping AEW, I don't see any TV show or pay-per-view being better than this. I can honestly say this is the best pay-per-view AEW's ever done. The best one, hands down. Because this is the only pay-per-view I've seen where I enjoyed about 85% of the matches on the card. And that's saying a lot. So, this is me going out on top with AEW. So, this will officially wrap up the recap of AEW All Out. As I mentioned before, this will be the final AEW recap that I do. I will be posting the classic pay-per-views that I did with Elvis, Desmond, Gator, you know, all those people that have joined in for AEW recaps. I will be posting those classics in the coming weeks and months as time goes by. But as far as doing any new recaps, 
that's it. There's not going to be a dynamite recap this week. There's not going to be any high spots of collision. I'm not touching any of the new pay-per-views. This is the final recap because I can no longer put myself through this. And as I said before, I'm sorry if this disappoints any fans out there, but I hope you will still tune in to the other episodes and segments that we do here because the Boochcast is an all-around great show, and we love our fans, and we appreciate your continued support. All right, and in the spirit of that, make sure you guys follow the Boochcast. We're on Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio. Pick your favorite hosting site and follow us there, or be a super fan and follow us on all four hosting sites. Also, like us on Facebook. Go to facebook.com slash theboochcast. We have archived episodes of the show as well as great content. Make sure you check out the male soap opera moment, especially this past episode. It was pretty intense. Uh, make sure you guys hear our, see our predictions for WWE Payback. Find out who was right and who was wrong, and be on the Look out for our recap of WWE Payback coming soon. Also, make sure you follow us on Twitter and Instagram at the Boochcast. Get the latest tweets, photos, and videos. Visit our YouTube channel. Check out all of our YouTube content. And be sure to hit the subscribe button and ring that bell to be notified when future content will be posted. We're currently working on uh, Dark Side of the Ring. We've also got uh, Dark Side of the 2000s, our review of both of those shows so make sure you guys get ready to see those and of course check out all the youtube content we already have on there if you haven't already and of course make sure you follow us on twitch go to twitch.tv slash the that's where we do our live wrestling watch parties our next watch party will be saturday november the 25th for wwe survivor series i'm currently in the process of trying to make sure the team can put something together as i will not be able to attend the watch party where i will be in winston-salem north carolina on November 24th and 25th with Buff the Stuff Bagwell for WrestleCade. So make sure you come see us at WrestleCade if you're in the Winston-Salem, North Carolina area. If you're not, you're going to check out the Survivor Series, go to the Twitch channel, and hang out with the team. And of course, we have our live D&D show coming soon, our Boochcast booking battle, no special project in the works. And of course, you can support the Boochcast by going to podcasters.spotify.com slash pod slash show slash the Boochcast slash support become a supporter of the Boochcast. support this podcast with a small monthly donation to help sustain future episodes we have three levels you can donate at pick the one that works the best within your budget we have our first level which is 99 cents one dollar per month we have a second level which is 4.99 five dollars per month the same amount of money you would pay for a peacock subscription and a lot of you guys out there aren't fans of the peacock so don't give them money give us money we got better content than peacock anyway and we got the third and final level you can donate at which is for a mere nine nine $10 per month. The same amount of money we used to pay for a WWE Network subscription here in the United States. Ever since they sold the Peacock, you got to put that $9.99. $10.99, bring it over here. We got better content in the network, and unlike the Elite, we actually care about our fans are dedicated to giving the people what they want. You have the option to pay with your credit card or with GPay. And the best part is, all the money we raise goes back into the show in some capacity. We used to upgrade our equipment. We used to bring in bigger name guests pay the bills, and take care of all the guys who work very hard on the air and off the air to make the Boochcast a success. So if you got a favorite co-host and believes are to be paid for their hard work, podcasters.spotify.com slash pod slash show slash the Boochcast slash support is how you make that happen. And then if there's any money left over, when it's all said and done, we use the rest to feed Zachariah Scott his ramen noodles and try to get him laid. And until next time, this is Vinny Bucci, a.k.a. The Booch, saying keep on living life and take care. This has been The Booch Cast. Talk to you guys next time. Until then, 
Pizza, baby. Well, I see by the clock on a wall that it's time to bid you one and all goodbye. Goodbye. So long. So long. Farewell. Farewell. Adieu. Adieu. Be good. Stay well. Bye bye. Keep warm. Relax. And eat. Take care. Stay loose. Adieu, mon vieux. À la prochaine. Goodbye till when we meet again.